the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we uh, continue with Armchair Politics, uh, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. And joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good to have you back as well. Thank you. Thank you, folks. And it's always great when we're uh, visited by East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. I've had my vitamin S today. That's um, Sumner. My Uh-oh. vitamin S. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, uh, here's one that caught my, uh, caught my attention and uh, creates a little food for thought, I think. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's office provided data Wednesday showing that local clerks across Michigan have received a total of more than 1.3 million requests for absentee ballots. The data shared with the Free Press also uh, indicated more than a million absentee ballots have already been sent out. That's about three and a half times the number of applications received and ballots issued ahead of the August primary in the last presidential election cycle in 2016. In May, Benson announced that because of fears that crowded polling places could lead to the spread of coronavirus, she would work with local clerks to ensure that all of Michigan's 7.7 million registered voters received absentee ballot applications. After that, President Donald Trump criticized her on Twitter and threatened to withhold state funding, arguing that efforts in Michigan and elsewhere to expand absentee or mail-in voting would lead to voter fraud. There is little evidence to support that claim, however, and Trump himself has voted absentee on several occasions. Both Democrats and Republicans believe that expanding absentee voting, especially in heavily concentrated urban areas like Detroit, could result in an advantage for Democrats. Now, let me ask this. Could conventional wisdom with regard to Democrats' advantage with greater turnout through absentee ballots be turned upside down by COVID-19? In other words, are Republicans more likely to vote by mail during the pandemic 
than under normal circumstances. Well, that's a good point. I, in fact, historically, for in the past, when you looked at absentee voting, it generally favored Republicans because it was generally the older voters who were voting absentee. So, yeah, I mean, the, the idea that this is an automatic uh, you know, plus for Democrats is not certain. I mean, it may very well increase turnout, and that should help Democrats. But if you take a look at the big picture, it's, it's a, at best a mixed bag. And I don't think yeah. it's a gu- guaranteed uh, plus for Democrats. Yeah, is there, is yeah, well, there a, I, a bigger difference? Is there a bigger difference for um, voter turnout at the polls as opposed to increased voter turnout by mail? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just also interesting. I, for my, I, I'm a little. I mean, I I requested an absentee ballot, of course, but there's a part of me that wants to just go to the polls just because it's going to be so. So I can just imagine it's going to be so contested every step of the way. Like I want to make sure that I see my own ballot go into that box. You know, <laughs> the same way, Jan. Yeah, I, I had the same feeling. I, I rarely voted absentee. This is the only the I think one time we were on vacation I voted absentee, and this is the first time in a long while that I requested an absentee ballot. Um, but, it, but again, I'm still waiting to get it, and, and we'll see what happens. But I, my, my based upon what happened last May, I think we're going to see an increase, and that probably yeah. should help Democrats. But as I say, historically. It's not been an automatic plus for Democrats, and it may not be this year either. Isn't it funny? Except for the. Go ahead, Henry. Isn't it funny that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Henry. Except for the argument by the President of the United States that this causes more cheating and stuff like that, Republicans, as a general rule, don't see their votes being um, invalidated by illegal processes. They just go and vote. They they think the system, most of them think the systems work just the way they are. They don't see all of this scandalous uh, dealing with votes and ballots. Yeah. You're you saying that see. most Republicans, they just go in. But, most Republicans yeah. don't agree you, with the if president. If you argue that in a city where there are people with less familiarity of that, that means that it's okay to cheat. It's okay. They cheat. And so this picture is painted. And, uh, of course, the president, when he uh, did say that that's probably a reason to be concerned, uh, kind of aided that argument. But Republicans generally don't see that as an issue. Uh-huh. That's interesting. And, again, the, the, the idea of cheating is this. It's been many, based upon so many studies. The, the real yeah. cheating is minuscule. It's, it's, it's a extremely tiny fraction of 1% and rarely affecting any real elections. You know, and there are some legendary examples you can point to when LBJ got elected to the Senate back in Texas back in the 1940s and some stories out of Chicago and so forth, but nationwide it's, it's a minuscule kind of fraction. Well, I you know, I always like to tease uh, Paul because he's from Illinois originally, but uh, aren't they still finding uh, boxes of ballots for oh, Dewey in Chicago? <laughs> My grandfather's probably still voting. (laughs) Starting uh, the president's reaction to Governor Whitmer, um, or to the uh, Secretary of State, I mean, I just wanted to point out that in 2018, Proposal 3 was passed by the Michigan voters, uh, giving us the constitutional right again to vote by absentee ballot during 40 Mm -hmm. days. I just want to point out that was 
that was passed by the voters in Michigan in 2018. So I just wanted to mention that. And yeah. and also, um, I, I think it's important to note that Michigan is is really kind of late coming to the game that uh, we're calling it, you know, no reason or no fault absentee uh, voting, but they've been call they've been doing it in other states for years calling oh, yeah, it early right. voting. Yeah, a number of other states but have gone almost exclusively, I mean maybe a half a dozen are exclusively mail in now and many others are quite have been quite open about it for for some years as you say. If um, cheating at the polls continue to happen and continues to be an issue, that will cause our whole electoral <coughs> process to collapse. Yeah. Nobody will believe in it. Well, for, for what it's We've worth. we got to stop this argument that the other side is cheating. And people... And I think it's good, I think it's good Henry, to hear you say that, that Republicans, by and large, don't see voter no. conspiracies under every uh, polling no, booth. And and that's you know that's actually nice to hear because you know I suspect that people are more reasonable than they're often portrayed, but but I um, I, I am going to miss the nostalgia. I I'm planning yeah. on voting by mail. Um, yeah. But I I've had conversations with Jocelyn Benson and with John Gleason, and and both are are pretty confident that. Uh, that mailing is is fair and secure, and we hear these stories uh, of uh, people receiving, you know, ten ballots at their house, all addressed to different people who live there at one time or another, either because they've deceased or moved to somewhere else. But when you fill out the ballot and return it, your signed ballot is checked against your signature on record and then counted, and if four of those come back, only one gets counted. That's right, yeah. So yeah. there there are systems in place to ensure one person, one vote. Well, yeah. you know, Tom, you're, you're right on one thing. I, I mean, I'm, there's a lot of claims made about, about uh, absentee voting. Voter registration lists are often very inaccurate because they don't remove people who have passed away, moved next very effectively but in terms of actual voting you know the folks who actually cast the ballots again almost no significant amount of fraud there as well but yeah it's true sometimes the registration lists are less accurate than they ought to be because they are often you know, well people uh, move uh, frequently uh, and, yeah, and, and, and they, the county doesn't is not aware of it so you, your name stays on the list and sometimes the they just voting. up and die without telling anybody that's right <laughs> yeah but but there are systems there are control systems that that's right. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you, Henry. That's like, the example, that's the point Gleason, I'm trying to make. Gleason, Gleason, he knows where all of the death records are, and death records from hospitals, from other clinics and homes, and so on and so forth. They are sent to Gleason as a as an indication of what happens in Genesee County. So, uh, they somehow the Secretary of State has to look at those. They are already compile they're available all you got to do is put a person in place to do the counting yeah and i think though i think that's a, a process that happens henry from time to time but it's almost impossible even with the best uh, software systems 
to keep up with the frequency with which people move and unfortunately die. Yeah, but but what we want to do, uh, the the ones that move won't be in Gleason's file. But but a lot, a lot of the claims about voter fraud revolve around the registration list, not the actual voting. I mean, yeah, it's, the list have got problems for for the reasons just mentioned, but the actual voting, not very many problems at all when you get down to it. And and I anyway, yeah, so I, I I think that can be improved. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with that, Henry. They they, they should be and could be, but uh, <clears throat> but as I say, they're they're not a problem in the final vote tally when you get down to the the bottom line. I, I no. you know, I'm I'm going to miss voting in person. It's something that I always take great uh, pride yeah. in, and and I was raised that way, as I've said several yeah. times. You know, I was raised in a house where my mother and father, um, they literally alternated who voted first in the precinct. Mm-hmm. Every time there was uh, an election, yeah. they would they took turns as who would be the actual first person to vote, but they were always the first two. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. the thing is... Barbara and I did the same thing when I was on the Board of Education. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's almost kind of a social event. You get to talk to all of the poll workers and yes. and the people ha- passing out flyers and so forth. I, I've, I've looked forward to it myself in this similar kind of way. Well, as long as they don't run it the way they run uh, returning cans to the grocery store now. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> Actually, we 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 did end up returning a, a couple of tr- a trunk full of cans last week, and there was at least when we were there, there was no problem. We there was a very short line, and they got in right away. But that may have been the exception. Well, I tried the first couple days, and it was a zoo. So I held off for about a week, and I I actually had to make two trips, but um, but but I got them all back. Yeah. So yeah. So did we. Pretty much without too much trouble. At least the time we were at, we went to VGs, and there was again one person in front of me, and it didn't take very long at all. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to move on to the next uh, the next story because we uh, have a break coming up in about a minute and a half. But I do want to sum up this um, this this question that I asked about conventional wisdom, and and I wonder. Um, there's a new normal coming, and uh, you know, can we even count on conventional wisdom for anything? Mm, it's it's going to change a lot, I think. You know. Yeah, but you got to have stabilized conventional wisdom. You got to have it. It's been part of. Well, I'm just saying that you know, that, political yeah. pundits, you know, like to say, "Well, this is what usually happens. Things are going to happen differently now." Yeah, and I don't think so. we can yeah, fall they back will, on those old patterns. Yeah, they will, but then they will be conventional. <laughs> they will be eventually become conventional. <laughs> well, they will. They will be a part of the system. They just may not yeah. unfold the same way they did the last time we did this. But anyway, yeah. we we do have to take a short break. So, if you're listening to us at WFOV ninety two point one FM, our voices radio, they are a broadcast service of uh, the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more armchair politics right after this. 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. I was telling you a little while ago about my wife, and I don't want you to be confused, but we were, I've been married more, more than once. In fact, I've been married three, three times. But my first two wives each died a very tra- tragic death. My first wife died from eating po- poison mushrooms. And my second wife died from a fractured skull. She wouldn't eat her mushrooms. How do you do, ladies? 
and gentlemen, this is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine. <laughs> President Donald Trump used his stage at the White House's South Lawn Saturday to put forward a mystifying and dangerously misleading claim that 99% of coronavirus cases in America are totally harmless. The president's assertion without evidence about the virus was his latest attempt to minimize the threat of the coronavirus as it ravages the United States with cases rising uh, across the country and as an increasing number of top Republican officials from the nation's governors to members of Congress pleaded with Americans to redouble their efforts to curb the spread of the virus, warning of the dangerous consequences if current trends continue. Looking to distract the nation from the frightening spike in COVID-19 cases and America's grim death toll as it surpassed 129,000 people, Trump has plunged deeper into a racially charged strategy meant to bolster... I'm sorry, I read that uh, that wrong. A, uh, no, it says racially charged strategy meant to bolster his support among white Americans who feel threatened by the cultural change sweeping America after the death of George Floyd at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer. Um, Can the president find a winning message without a complete recovery of the economy? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well, of course I think he can. First of all, he has to bring the country together. It was so badly divided. That's one of his, uh, the economy doesn't matter if you got your country completely uh, unsettled, divided, and fighting against each other. And it looks as though, and, and I'm going to go on the limb and say this, it looks as though the fight is between white uh, Democrats and Republicans. They have the power and authority to wield their will, even at the expense of tearing down the whole idea that this country was settled by Western Europeans. They all need to survive. They all need to be included in that. But yet, we we tear them up. People look across the boundary and watch this ball fly back and forth. And when Democrats say um, that Republicans are the reason why uh, blacks were enslaved or don't do well in their country, that that volatilizes them more. And they do stupid things by following these, these, um, the, what is to believe by them evidence. And I have to be cautious of how I say this because I have a lot of, many uh, white friends who are Republicans and Democrats, and I really don't want to skew this so that I favor either one of those in this circumstance. But I do think that they need to sit back as leaders of this country and rethink this thing. And black Americans need to think about this. We could, 30 years from now, they will inherit the country with no but you know what? One of the problems is, uh, Henry, and I'm curious to see what uh, what Jan and Paul have to say about this, is that 
throughout history, political parties um, have swapped issues back and forth. Um, there was a, uh, a time when Republicans were very pro-abolition, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it was in fact the Republican Party that, uh, um, founded by uh, Abraham Lincoln, that sort of led the charge for the abolition of uh, slavery. And, and then somehow it became the Democrats' cause. And, um, and I think what happens is that political parties need to figure out what their core values are. And they do have them. Um, you know, Republicans being more for individuals and, and Democrats being more for a collective of, of sorts. Mm-hmm. And stick to those those core principles and not determine the party by the issues of the day. Yeah, and you know, and, and look at it. White Americans have everything. They put the world on wheels. They created the telecommunication system. They did everything. They should be comfortable, secure. And stabilize, but actually, but not following every. I, I don't. I okay, don't think. Ahead. I don't think we can that we can really uh, leave it at that. I. Th- I think we've we've learned enough, if not during this uh, this latest wave of unrest, but but throughout various waves of unrest in our country, I think we've at least learned that there have been uh, people of color. Uh, people from other nationalities that have contributed significantly to what has, at at various points in our history, made America great. Yeah, that's quite yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you got to if you don't give it to the people who did it, you will always be at war with them. You will well, all, if you deny. But, yeah. but I think is the key phrase in some ways: the people who did it. Um, needs to include everyone who did it. Yeah, they need right. to include everyone, and they should be big enough to do that. But we just banter this thing back and forth, and we don't you, we don't know who the enemy is, and we don't know what size to join. And yet, the, the dominance is one man. That's the Caucasian. I think you're seeing a restructuring of the parties to some degree. I think the Republican Party, that used to be the party of big business and and upper income groups are becoming more and more the rural party, the working to some degree the the white working class party, and those were those used to be democratic so called so called Macomb County Democrats in the past are going on Republican, and some areas that used to be Republican again college educated upper income folks going more democratic and urban going more democratic. So I think we're in the middle of a of a re, re, restructuring of the parties themselves. That leads to a lot of confusion as well. On Tom's other question, by the way, I think the economy is the big deal. It's going to be a tough thing to win. However, one caveat is that it's very tough to beat an incumbent president. We've only seen in the last almost half century only two incumbent presidents lose an election. So any incumbent president, no matter how bad their ratings are, and Trump's are pretty bad. Jimmy Carter bad. and George H.W. Bush? That's right. Yeah, okay. that's the only two in the last almost half century. 
Gerald Ford's kind of an exception, but well, he was never really, he was never elected at all. That's a, that's <laughs> right. So I, I don't really, I don't recount him in the first place. But yeah, yeah, just Jimmy Carter and 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 H. W. Bush were the only two incumbents to lose in the in almost the last half century. So it's there's always an advantage for an incumbent president, no matter how bad things are. Uh, but having said that, again, the economy is a big deal. It, it's it's going to be going to go a long way. Well, here's a I, piece. I will, go ahead, Jan. I was thinking of Henry yesterday because I was watching a conversation with uh, between Chris Cuomo and an African American young woman whose name I forget offhand, uh, and the point seemed to be made that, and it reminded me of Henry, that if you don't bring white white people along with you on your cause, you're not going to make it ultimately. Like if you, what you're talking about is hu- is huge systemic change, right? And uh, yes. I thought of you, because I remember That's when true. we interviewed you about being a presidential elector, you said something like that. And at the time, I sort of bristled at that claim, but uh, what what I think it's probably true, and that what is happening now is that I believe that white folks, many more white folks, are coming to understand that we've got some problems. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, you know, they do. We, they, they... If you yeah. look at if if you look at who was on the protests, even in Flint, I don't think the majority in Flint here were African Americans. I think there were a lot no, of African Americans, but there were also lots of white folks that were that joined yeah. in. Yeah, so, the demonstration I mean, that I went feel out like to. Even um, if you're talking about the economy, the economy is the locus of inequality too. Uh, you know, um, so. I think that the two are interrelated, and I think that what's happening in, 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 in addition to the realignment of the parties, I think there's a rather huge thing happening in the country where some white people are saying, yeah, we got some problems, and we don't like how this feels. And so. I, just keep yeah. Hearing, yeah. Uh, I just keep hearing I just keep hearing an echo of uh, 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 James Carville saying, it's the economy, stupid. Right. Um, and and yeah. I and I wonder what's going to happen when there are Biden Trump debates, and um, you know I, I am absolutely certain at some point Biden is going to ask, "Are you better off now than you were four years ago?" <laughs> yeah, sure that's that's bound up. to happen. But but here's something on kind of a related uh, piece. A group of former George W. Bush administration and campaign officials has launched a new super PAC to mobilize disaffected Republican voters for presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. The group launched Wednesday under the name 43 Alumni for Biden seeks to unite and mobilize a community of historically Republican voters who are dismayed and disappointed by the damage done to our nation by Donald Trump's presidency, according to their own press release. The formation of the group is the latest example of efforts being made by anti-Trump Republicans to defeat the president in November. The question that, that that raises for me is, can traditional Republicans win back the party from the president and his loyal base? Mm. Of course they, they do. This is not the first time that this has ever happened when the party didn't agree with their president. And the parties do stabilize over time. And past presidents are soon forgotten. 
then we move on to something else, something different, something new. And some, and oftentimes it's a good thing that we transform ourselves into uh, the position of the opposite party. Uh, it, it works well. We don't have to fear all of that stuff that we find in um, Idols of the Cave. Uh, uh, if you recall the expression, you know I'm struck by a few personal kind of contacts of people that I know who were who were Trump supporters, who have now not only disavowed him but kind of gone the other side. One uh, neighbor here who was a Trump supporter was in '16 was now a Bernie supporter in '20. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, in some ways I can explain it because they're both kind of outsiders. But I think you're seeing some of that disaffection bubbling up within the Republican Party uh, beyond my own personal examples. Do you, what's but, your you know, the thing... Go ahead. Well, I mean, in, ahead. other than in theoretical terms about how things happen in parties, what's your practical sense of where your where traditional Republic, more traditional Republicans are that you know nowadays? My, my Are you referring is, to me? Yeah, yeah. Henry, yeah. That's, yeah. that ahead, one's Henry. for you. Yeah. No, uh, I didn't know that. Jan, please repeat. I'm sorry. She's, she's just asking if, if your sense is that, uh, that real Republicans, everyday Republicans that you come in contact with, are they mm-hmm. staying with the president or are they starting to fall away? No, there's always been that group of the people within Genesee County Republicans that have not liked Donald Trump. But the party itself must survive. It must continue with the platform, and it must not uh, self-destruct from within. And it, it tries its best to do exactly that, even though it may not agree with the president. But they know that Genesee County Republican Party is very feeble and weak. It's always been weak. It's always been dominated by Democrats and by the union leaders. And mm-hmm. uh, so they, they have to maintain uh, its, its, uh, its existence through hanging on to the people who believe in a Republican platform. And that's what it tries to do. Let the president do what it, it, he will, but and they don't get too far from the center of what everybody thinks in the party. You know, on that point, Henry, I'm struck by, when I see John James' ads so far, I'm struck by the fact that, as far as I know, he has not mentioned Trump at all. Right, I noticed, too. I was like, is that guy, I mean, I know who he is, but you could almost wonder, what party is he in? I brought That's that up right. I brought that up last <laughs> week, because he seems to be doing a, uh, a pretty interesting tight wire walk, because while he doesn't mention the president, he, he um, doesn't miss a Trump rally. That's also true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and that's that's pretty smart of him, too, because he does not only appeal to Republicans, he appeals to the broader base of the American people, and that's what he should do. He should. And I, I, I find it interesting Gary Peters is doing all these uh, China ads, like that's his big deal. So it's like, who's the Republican here? Well, I mean, you, you know, he, he is so hoping for that large block of black voters in the Democratic Party that he dare not say anything negative about his opponent. (laughs) 
Right. So, yeah, that's so right. he's that's got so he's got to pick that's an enemy, and it's China or Russia. And right now, yeah. you know, with the president's help, China's the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't criticize the leader of your party. You know, I but, mean, but sometimes you uh, walk away from or, or the candidate. Yeah, but but and uh, John James is smart. You turn your focus on. Somebody else, some other issue. Except for one, th- except for one thing, he has not responded to requests to be on my show. Oh, <laughs> he probably will. <laughs> Gary Peters has been on several times. In fact, they contact me regularly, but uh, but nothing from the uh, from the James camp. Well, let's let's move on. The Supreme Court said Monday that states can punish members of the Electoral College who break a pledge to vote for a state's popular vote winner in presidential elections. The case comes as the election season is heating up, putting the Electoral College once again front and center in an increasingly polarized and volatile uh, political atmosphere. In 2016, 10 of the 538 presidential electors went rogue, attempting to vote for someone other than their pledged candidate. In all, 32 states and the District of Columbia have laws that are meant to discourage faithless electors, but until 2016, no state had ever actually punished or removed an elector because of his or her vote. The vote count was 9 to 0. Are you surprised by either the decision or the unanimous vote? The Supreme Court got smart, didn't that? They knew who the people were. The people. You get, we are a nation of laws by people. And you must follow the directives of what the people want. And what they declare is right for this country. It, and I think the Supreme Court, both Democrats and Republicans, did do the same thing, do the identical thing to preserve this nation. To preserve it. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think the, 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 they're also deferring to the states. I mean, clearly the states have got the choice in how they choose their electors. And in the earliest yes. days of the country, for the first 30 or 40 years, there really wasn't that much public voting. The, the states chose their electors. The, the state legislatures did. And then only later did the, did the public start playing a larger and larger role as the years went by. Yes. And so in one sense, the Supreme Court is deferring to that possibility. You know, one interesting th- spinoff of that decision is there's this, this plan been kicking around for some years where a number of states have said they promise to pledge their electors to whoever wins the national popular vote, however their state votes. I mean, it's kind of a backdoor way of getting around the Electoral College. And this decision sounds like it would kind of kill that idea, I would think. Yeah. It looks like that's what it does, and it preserves yeah. the Union. Yeah. This well, is the kind of thing that uh, broke us off in 1861, uh, 1860, yeah. I think it was. Um, but uh, well, we, we so rarely Supreme hear Court about did exactly what we so rarely hear right. about the Supreme Court voting nine to nothing on anything. That's it, true. It's kind of refreshing, and yeah. there's right. this one and Bridgegate. I can't wait till my next uh, conversation with Brendan Beery just to talk about nine to nothing votes. But I want to squeeze in one more before we go to break. President Donald Trump said that his niece who has written a tell-all book about him and his family, had signed a non-disclosure agreement and is not allowed to write that book. Mary Trump, the president's niece and the daughter of his late 
older brother, Fred Trump Jr., penned a book described as a revelatory, authoritative portrait of Donald J. Trump and the toxic family that made him. The book is set, uh, was set to be released on uh, July 28th, but um, uh, actually has been uh, released a little bit early. Um, does the fact... Um, does the fact that there's a non-disclosure agreement help or hurt the president in his effort to preempt any potential PR fallout from the book? I mean, it just seems, it seems bizarre yeah. to have a non-disclosure agreement with one of your relatives yeah. to begin with. Yeah. Uh, no, I <laughs> and, and it was over an estate settlement. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not sure if it relates to the book at all. Yeah, I bet I don't know. Um I'm, I'm, I'm surprised in a couple of ways. On one hand, there have been so many negative books out. I wonder, if, is one more book going to make any difference? I don't know that it will, but there's been just a, a stream of, of negative books by you know, Trump, and, <laughs> Trump staffers and employees and White House staffers and so forth. So I don't know how much it'll change, but it's at least the excerpts that I've seen are, are pretty, pretty condemning. I haven't learned the new... Um uh, press secretary's name yet. Um, McEnany, something yeah. like that. Yeah, McEnany. And um, but she had uh, an interesting comment that that made me chuckle a little bit. She said, "Well, I haven't seen the book, but it's all lies." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote. <laughs> I, uh, that that one got to me. <laughs> yeah, it's fake news, and yeah. this is a fake comment. Right, that's uh, loyalty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's actually talking points <laughs> before the thing ever even uh, <laughs> hit the streets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as I say, I'm not sure how many how much how many opinions will be changed by by the book because because in so many ways, I say so much of what's whether the Bolton book or, or this current one, they're all critical, but. Not much seems to change in terms of, of, of overall polling. It's still around 39, 40%. Hey, by the way, this is just a, a quick little plug. Speaking of new books, there's a new book about uh, Joseph McCarthy by Larry Tai, who wrote that great book about uh, Bobby Kennedy here just a couple of years ago. And uh, he's going to be on the show Friday at oh, 10 o'clock. So you may want to tune in yeah. for that. Should be uh, should be a pretty interesting yeah. one. Um in any event, uh, one thing about Mary Trump's book, for me personally, and, and again, I, I feel like McEnany because I, I, uh, I haven't seen the book yet, but according to some of the things that have been leaked from it, it answers a question that we were asking uh, in 2016 when, Trump, uh, when uh, President Trump was then running. He was then candidate Trump, and, and that was... Um, if it was just kind of a lark on his part. And according to a, a quote in the book from uh, Trump's sister, she said, oh, I, you know, I don't think there's any chance that he can get elected, and he doesn't think so either. Mm. And and yeah. that was a question we had. You know, it was always yeah. kind of like, uh, you know, hold my beer and watch this. Yeah, well, I think there there was this, this you know story kicking around that it was really a way to kind of pump up his TV show when he first announced back in in fifteen, and uh, it, it simply was a lark. Uh, 
kind of like Kanye West, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, don't get me started <laughs> on Kanye really, West. Uh, we've yeah. got to take a break here, but maybe we'll pick it up there when we come back. We also still have uh, the X-Files to squeeze in before we wrap up today's edition of Armchair Politics. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the uh, Tom Sumner program with Armchair Politics. Normally, we'd go right into the X-Files, but I wanted to pick up on uh, something that uh, Paul mentioned before the break and before we do that. And it's kind of an X-File. It makes a nice transition into the X-Files in any event, uh, especially because of some breaking news. But I also want to squeeze in. I've had a a chance to uh, get a couple of uh, program plugs in and I want to give Jan a chance to uh, get in a plug. East Village Magazine is doing a rollout of a couple of videos that have to do with uh, Get Out the Vote. Jan, do you want to explain uh, those and when that is? Yes, uh, we're going to, East Village Magazine along with support by um, the League of Women Voters and many uh, local citizens and, uh, and now it appears the Community Foundation of Greater Flint is kicking in some support. Uh, we've, we've created a, two videos that we hope will be, that will be available on YouTube involving 130 Flint citizens who were photographed by uh, photographer Dan White. He's a Flint native from Kansas City. Uh, it's a, they, both of them are beautiful productions, and they'll be on YouTube for anybody to use after July 21st. So we're having our premiere. It's a digital premiere, a Facebook Live event. Tuesday evening, July 21st, and we'll have a, a availability of discussion, and the videos will be posted that night. So, uh, it, uh, Tom, you helped us because you helped us record one of our narrators, who's Samantha Brown, our poet laureate of Flint, and uh, the photos are beautiful, of course, and uh, we're trying to make the point, the name of it is Faces of Flint, uh, a message from the anvil of American democracy. And, of course, we know what it means denied our democratic rights here. So um, the message is, you know, what Flint people know we have to do is participate in the democratic process by voting. So thank you for giving me a minute to describe that. So it's uh, Tuesday evening, July 21st is our premiere online, and you'll see more about it if you're on Facebook and elsewhere. Okay. And and Paul had to bring up Kanye West. And uh, apparently, as the story goes, he has announced his intention to run for president. I've actually heard serious pundits say that somehow he's in collusion with the president um, as a way of trying to take some votes away from Joe Biden. Um, But uh, it, it... turns out it's it, it started taking on a serious turn here 
over the last uh, day or two and then I saw something that that really tickled me and that is uh, Vermin Supreme has challenged him to a debate on Zoom. <laughs> and I don't know if you, if you all know who Vermin Supreme is. He's been on the show a couple of times. I think he's now officially run for president more times than Pat Paulson. But um, and and his uh, and his his explanation is that all politicians are vermin, and he's the vermin supreme. <laughs> That'd be a debate to see. <laughs> that wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Anyway, that would be something. Yeah. Anyway, it's. I don't it's, think this guy is as serious. I I hope not. Well, I, I know vermin so. supreme isn't. You know, they don't have the foggiest background about what it takes to run for president from the standpoint of domestic policy, foreign policy, and other kind of policies that run this country. you got to have some in-depth understanding of that. I would vote for Dan with Nelson. There you go. Actually, I've already written a slogan for Kanye's campaign. Go West, young man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Good. Good job. And anyway, like I said, that makes a, a nice uh, sort of transition into the uh, into the X Files. Well, ghost hunters are probing reports of a potty-mouthed ghoul swearing at tourists at a beauty spot. The angry apparition is said to be a woman in white who tells people to F off in an area known as Dead Woman's Ditch. Christine and Dave Thomas are investigating the site named after the murder of Jane Walford by her husband John in 1789 on the Quantock Hills in Somerset. The couple say they picked up on a voice which told them to F off. They also claim to have encountered a murderer from 1798. Dave said, my wife has experienced it for a long time. Um, was F off part of the lexicon in the late 1700s? <laughs> no, I doubt it. Yeah. That had yet to be invented. <laughs> well, it would have surprised me, I think. Um, when coronavirus lockdown restrictions were announced, Donna Poré wasted no time in fleeing her home to spend quarantine with her boyfriend on the other side of town. Among the belongings she left behind as she hurriedly relocated was a simple bag of potatoes she had picked up from the local shop with the intention of cooking them for dinner. She didn't give them a second thought as she happily passed the time with her boyfriend before returning to the flat in KN, France for the first time three months later. But when she opened the door, she says she was left terrified by the unassuming bag of spuds which had grown meter-long pink tentacles and reached out to every corner of her small flat. <laughs> the communications manager said, as I opened the front door, I noticed a strange shape at the back of the kitchen. As the light was off and shutters down, I didn't realize it was the potatoes. It was only after opening the shutters that I took note of this extraordinary sight. I was terrified at first, but after realizing what it was, I laughed a lot and shared a video of the plant on Snapchat. Uh, could this be a premise for a new horror movie called Attack of the Killer Potatoes? 
I think so. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's a weird one. The first time Roger Michelle smelled the Magna Carta, it didn't make much of an impression on him. The founder and executive director of the UK's Institute for Digital Archaeology had just inhaled a range of other important books, including an incense-heavy Central African gospel and the oldest known text of the poem Iliad on a Hawara, I think that's how you say it, uh, papyrus. It is just one of the unique scents which the Institute of Digital Archaeology has captured from antique books dating back to the 13th century from the Oxford University's Bodleian Library and the New, uh, the New York Public Library. The scents will form part of the Institute's Sensational Books Exhibition. Mr. Uh, Michael says uh, museums tend to focus on visitors' visual experiences, ignoring other senses like smell, which can reveal a more complete picture of the world around us, unlike museum artifacts, which can be preserved behind glass for many years. Only the exhibition's first visitors will be experiencing the original molecules or the first-generation smell, lifted from the Magna Carta. In years to come, we will have to synthesize that odor, having identified the composition of chemicals. We can do that, but for, the, for that first generation of the people who come to the exhibition, they will be getting a few uh, molecules of the Magna Carta for the first folio in their nostrils, uh, he says. Uh, the exhibitions at the New York Public Library and Oxford's uh, I think that's Bodleian Library, have been uh, postponed because of COVID-19, but Mr. Michael says all the original scent extractions have all been deep frozen, ready to be inhaled at some point next year. Does this bring new meaning to the phrase passing the smell test? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that's that. That's interesting. They'll be able to go back and synthesize those odors because they can tell what they're made of, or the ketones, or amino acids, and so yeah, on I and so forth. I, I love the exhibit's name, um, Sensational Books. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a relief to be in a world where wit can still survive. <laughs> well, we're, yeah. well wasn't, it is, wasn't actually. There a, wasn't there an attempt with the movies to do, do smell-o-vision some years ago, where they were going to put, put odors in the theater during movies? I don't think it lasted very long, but it was one of those. No, it was kind of uh, kind of difficult and kind of expensive to do because I think the way they did it was they did it. Didn't they do it like like scratch and sniff cards? It may was have been. I, I, I recall I recall hearing about it. I never went to a movie that did it. I don't believe, but I recall Either. hearing about it. Well, it's uh, it's time to wrap things up. I can't believe how fast the time goes, and and the three of you make this so wonderful to do each week. I, I really appreciate it. It's fun. Thank I really enjoyed it. It's always great to be here. Thanks to Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and, of course, uh, our, our guest this week, our frequent guest, Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine. Thanks to all of you and uh, to everybody who tuned in. Thanks for listening. And uh, I guess uh, hearing George Winters tickle the ivories lets me know it's time to head down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, good night, everybody.
Variety Show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.